0: If you have one, go with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. We're going to uh, continue our series, our vision series, by focusing specifically on a particular value each week. And so today we're going to focus on our monastic value uh, in the next two weeks. Next week and the following week, we're going to talk about uh, multiracial, racial reconciliation, racial justice, and all that. And then we'll go into the rest of these M's. But our five M's all by themselves are very powerful to have you reimagine your spirituality and your discipleship of Jesus, but it is in the convergence of the five, it is in the combination of the five, that it creates a new kind of framework, a powerful framework, a powerful paradigm to follow Jesus in a comprehensive sort of a way. And so this is the reason why we're looking at our five Ms very carefully. And today we're going to focus on our monastic M. What does it mean to slow down our lives to be with God. And the reality is many of us we live in the city that never sleeps. And we live at a violent pace. And so what does it mean to slow down our lives to be with God? Let's pray, let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we look to him in our text today. Lord Jesus, thank you for your history of faithfulness towards us. Uh, thank you for the new life that we've experienced over and over throughout our 30 years. And Lord, today, as we look at what it means to be a monastic community, a community that slows down to be with you, uh, Lord, would you come? Would you saturate our souls through the preaching of your word today? And so we offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. It was the late Japanese theologian, Kasuke Koyama, who wrote a book entitled, The Three-Mile-An-Hour God. The Three-Mile-An-Hour God. That God, uh, as it were, goes at a pace of three miles an hour. Now, for the average human being, us walking at a decent pace will probably get us three miles in an hour, and as he was researching and talking about Christian spirituality in different parts of Asia, what he noticed was that when there is a, a, there's a particular pace in these villages, and it is in these, uh, at this pace in these villages where they were encountering God at that kind of pace, and so he wrote this book called Three Mile an Hour God, and what he was trying to do was get at the heart of this notion that if we want to connect with God, we would be wise to travel at God's speed. And it is at this point where he says that God travels at three miles an hour, that God has all the time in the world, that God is never in a rush, that God does whatever God will in God's own time. And it is only, and, and what, what we're going to talk about slow is beautiful today. That's what we're going to talk about. Slow is beautiful, this monastic life. It is, it is this idea that when we, if we're, if we're, it's only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. It is only when we slow down, this is the paradox of the kingdom of God, when we slow down our lives, it is only then that we can catch up to God. Now, the idea that slow is beautiful, uh, the idea that we are to cultivate a slow down spirituality is very difficult to us and for us in our American culture and in our New York City culture because our lives are marked by hurry our lives are marked by fast pace. Our lives are marked by rushing. We live in an environment of speeding. And this environment of speeding finds itself in all aspects of our lives. I heard of a book called The One Minute Bedtime Story uh, that was to help parents deal with Time consuming children by reading them super condensed versions of children's classics. Some of you are like, where can I get that? What's the name of that book again? It's just like the one minute bedtime story. And the reality is we we are all affected in one way or another by this all-consuming pressure to rush through life. I mean, let's be honest. We're never happy with our internet connection. We're never happy. Do you remember the days of America Online that it would, you, you would have to hear a phone? Uh, this this ring? If you don't remember that, there's something called Google, YouTube. Uh, it, it would take, remember, the, the three yellow, the America Online, this guy turned here, and then he just gets stuck right there. And it's just like, brother, come on, bro. You can do it. You can do it. And then, boom, you're on there. If If our internet connection takes more than two seconds now, we are upset. We want things fast. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating that we go back up to dial-up service and taking boats instead of airplanes, Uh, but speed has helped to remake our world in some wonderful ways and some liberating ways, but speed has also caused some great disconnection in our lives. The pace of life causes great disconnection between our lives and God, between our lives and each other, between our lives and creation. So much so that it was the philosopher Dallas Willard who said that the greatest enemy of the spiritual life is hurry. The greatest enemy of the spiritual life is hurry. And so at New Life, one of our values is that we are called to be a monastic community, to embrace the beautiful truth that we were meant to live contemplative lives, that we were meant to live a kind of slow down spirituality, to be present to God, to be present to ourselves, to be present to others, to be present with creation. That our lives are meant to be one of prayer, to be one of contemplation. Like David says in Psalm 27, he says, one thing have I desired and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To what? To behold the beauty of the Lord. David says, I got one thing I'm my mind, and that is to slow down my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. This is the core of what it means to be a monastic community, that we slow down our lives to behold the beauty of the Lord. And so what does it mean for us to cultivate a slowed down spirituality? What does it mean for us to cultivate a monastic kind of a life? Jesus teaches us the way. In Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 35, after Jesus is driving out many demons, uh, after Jesus is incredibly busy, verse 35, it says these words. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and driving out demons. And then soon after, it'll see Jesus going away again to a solitary place. And then again, he's active. Then he'll go again into a solitary place. And then again, he will be active. So when we pick up in our passage here, Jesus is in great demand because of his healing ministry. There's no urgent care facilities. There's no hospitals. There's no doctor that's waiting there. Jesus is the doctor who comes into the village. And if your mother is sick, if your child is sick, if you are sick, you're looking to get healing. And so people were running towards Jesus so that he could lay his hands on them. You could imagine that the scene is kind of like Black Friday in Walmart. It's, it's crazy here. The throngs of people trying to get to Jesus. They are surrounding him. He's trying to heal them. He's casting out demons. And so after this intense uh, moment of ministry, he, he leaves. He finds a place to get away. And when you look at the life of Jesus, everyone's looking for him all the time. It just seems like the work is never done. Have you ever felt that way before? That the work is never done. The dishes are never done. The diaper changing is never done. The deadlines at work are never done. The papers at school are never done. The meetings we have are never done. And so we rush from one thing to the next. And so while there is constant activity around Jesus, Jesus makes the intentional decision to pull away into a solitary place. And you see this consistently in Jesus. He gets away into a place of solitude, away into a place of silence so that he can connect with God. And when you look at the scriptures over and over from, from really from uh, the garden to Moses in the desert, we see time and time again that those who are in relationship with God must create a kind of desert space, a, a kind of open space to unhurriedly and non-anxiously commune with God. And Jesus steps away into a solitary place. And so when I think about us being a contemplative church, us being a monastic kind of a church, slowing down our lives to be with God, it's about us slowing down our pace so that we can create space so that God can transform us by his grace. I used to be a rapper, so stuff starts coming out like that, all right? (laughs) We slow down our pace so that we can create space so that God can transform us by his grace. That's pretty good right there. That's pretty good right there. And and yes, I was a rapper. My father was a DJ. And so anyway, uh, and so Jesus gets away to commune with God. He gets away, not, listen, not so that he doesn't have to do mission, but so that his mission can be filled with a different kind of life. It's not an either or thing here. It's not monastery or mission field. It's holding the tension of them together. Many people come to New Life and they go, you know what? I'm tired. I came from another church. I'm just going to do the monastery life now. But that's not what Jesus demonstrates. Jesus shows us a kind of life of rhythm. And this is what we're going to learn from Jesus, that Jesus' life was rooted in rhythm over rushing. Rhythm over rushing. And the key word there is the word rhythm. Now, ever since I can remember, my family had a thing for parties and celebrations, and, and my family, uh, good Puerto Ricans that we are, uh, we don't really need a big reason to party. <laughs> I mean, when we get together for birthday parties or weddings or graduations or family reunions or bar, mit- bar mitzvahs, uh, you knew that there are going to be certain things that our parties cannot do without, of course, the food is going to be incredible. Of course, there's going to be laughter, kids running around, but our gatherings are not complete until something significant happened called the electric slide. It's just the electric slide. <laughs> and many of us know this important cultural uh, dance move here. We do it at New Life every New Year's Eve here. And the thing about the electric slide is, most of the family had rhythm, but there always was that one family member who messed it up. Always with that one, you're going right and he's going left. You're going left and he's going right. You're going forward, he's going back. It's just not a pretty picture to see. And so when I, when you look at the electric slide, when you look at kind of dance stuff, there's a rhythm to it. That it's something really. We're in concert. There's a rhythm to the movement. And and what I like to think is that our country is is not just in a kind of cultural crisis. Our country is in a rhythmic crisis. Our country has a crisis of rhythm. When you look at creation, we see that creation is about rhythm, that there's an ebb and flow to creation. When you look at creation, when you look at within humanity, then the way that we breathe, there's an ebb and flow. There's a rhythm to our breathing, the way our pulses, our heart beats, the circulation of blood in our bodies. There is a rhythm to our lives. There was one theologian who said that at the heart of original sin is the refusal to submit to the rhythm of God, that God has a rhythm for our lives, and sin often comes in when we refuse to live according to that rhythm, and so over and over again, when you look at the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, one of the words that come up over and over again is the word immediately. Over, read the Gospel of Mark, look how many times it says, and immediately, and imme-. this, is a, this is a gospel for New Yorkers, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately, and yet, with all the immediately's, Jesus lives a life of deep. Rhythm. One of the things you see about Jesus is Jesus is never flustered. Jesus is never hurried. Jesus is never harried. It was one person who said that if you can describe Jesus in one word, the word would be relaxed. Relaxed. With all the immediately's, Jesus is relaxed. You never see Jesus rushing in the Gospels. You never see Jesus going, ah, forgot to heal the leper. I got to run back. And you never see Jesus running across Queens Boulevard, frenzied, you see him relaxed, not robotic, but relaxed, centered. He has a rhythm to his life. Jesus refuses to live according to this kind of rushing spirituality. Now, let me say that there are absolute legitimate times to rush, there are legitimate times to rush. If, someone's, if you're running late for a job interview this week, uh, you better rush. Don't say Pastor Rich said just Jesus was relaxed. I'm going to be relaxed too. You're going to be relaxed without a job some more. So you better just rush on to. You're going to have plenty of time to relax. Get to the job there. And so if the house is burning down, this is no time to be a, a contemplative. This is no time to be reflective. If you are driving an ambulance and someone's sick, there's no time to drive in the right lane. Get in the left lane. Get to the hospital. There's our times to rush. But here's the problem. When our lives are consistently caught up in a kind of perpetual state of acceleration, we do violence against our souls. And we often do violence against others. The challenge for many of us is we live a kind of the culture is so in us. We li- there's a mindless kind of rushing that we live with, that you are early for the appointment and still you're walking fast. You're, you're early for the show and you're still running up the stairs, that there's something inside of us that has this mindless kind of a rushing. And what begins to happen is we do violence against our souls. We actually end up paying for the pace we live. Many of us have paid for it literally. Now, uh, on Queens Boulevard and on other places in our city, there are now speed traps that capture how fast you're going. And, and, and before in the past, you would have to see an officer pull you over and say, do you know how fast you were going? And go, no, I didn't. Here's the ticket. There you go. Now there's speed traps. And, and if you go a particular speed, you get home two weeks later, there's something waiting for you in the mail. <laughs> And some of us have experienced like, oh, what is this? And, 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 we, and they caught you on the camera. And you had your coffee. you were like, ha-ha, you're passing by. You thought you made it. You thought you made it. And they t- took the picture of you anyway. And you're smiling and everything. And you're not smiling anymore. But, but, but there's speed traps. I wonder for many of us, if God were to uh, measure our pace of life, how many speed trap violations would we have in a given month? How many uh, fines would we get in the mail on a month-to-month basis? And I think for many of us, we get a lot because we're so caught up in a violent kind of pace. And what happens in us is our pace often, we don't take the time to really wrestle with why we're so busy. For many of us, we are so busy because the truth is, we don't want to face ourselves. The truth is, there's some hard things in our lives that we don't want to talk about, that we don't want to explore, that we don't want to excavate. And so it's much easier to go at a fast pace so as to distract us from the deep work that we want to avoid and deny. We've often, we've often built uh, our sense of identity based on what we can accomplish, which basically means that the more you accomplish and the faster you accomplish it, the, the better you are as a person. And so our entire identity is caught up in our sense of pace. We often live very discontent with where we're at, not discerning what God is doing in a particular moment of history in our lives. And we're looking to get to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. I know what it's like as a parent to do this. But from time to time, my, my children, I'm just like, can we just move out of this season of life? Can we, can we fast forward out of this season here? But here's the problem. When do we stop fast forwarding? Because every new season pre- 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 uh, presents a whole new set of problems, a whole new set of realities. And so, sure, you want to fast forward the, the three year old toddler stages, but watch when they turn six and seven. And 8 and 9 and 12 and 13 and 15 and 16. And then they leave the house. And I, I mean, I mean, there's, a, there's no ideal season. And what happens is because we don't want to wrestle with what's happening in the moment, we want to speed through life. And what happens is we miss out on all the ways that God wants to speak to us. The monastic value is about slowing down our lives, not just so that we can have better health, it's slowing down our lives so that we can get to God. That we desperately need to get to God. And we desperately need a pace that's not violent, one that is redemptive to get to God. Now, a couple of months ago, I met with a new lifer and she emailed me because she wanted to meet. She was in a, what she called a gray season in her life. And we met for about an hour and we're talking about her life. And I was, I asked her a question. When's the last time that you've had extended time with God? Just in prayer. Extended time with God. Let's say more than two hours of just unhurried, non-anxious time with God. And she couldn't remember. And so I said, why don't you consider going, having a, a day alone with God by yourself? Finding maybe a retreat center and I can give you some recommendations. And she said, Okay, she'd be interested in doing it. The beautiful thing is she actually did it. A a pastor's dream that a congregant would actually do what the pastor said. Oh, I was like, this is amazing. This doesn't happen a lot, brothers and sisters. But she did it. She did it. And I said, when you do it, send me an email to let me know what your experience was like. And I asked her if I could share it today. And she said, yes. This is what she said. She said, the 24-hour period was filled with God's grace. The weather was exactly what I love, overcast and cool. So I spent a lot of time watching, wandering the grounds, pausing to pray, and to just appreciate the natural beauty and serenity of the atmosphere. Then I saw an inchworm. I was fascinated with its movement, how its rear segment actually meets its front segment, forming that inverted U shape before moving forward one bit at a time. It served as a metaphor for my Christian journey, demonstrating the importance of following God and meeting with Him continually in order to move into deeper relationship. The inchworm is such a tiny creature. My meeting up with it was divinely arranged. I was sitting on a bench when I noticed it behind me. It sensed my presence lifting its head as I drew near to observe. How gracious of God to craft such a tiny, unique creature. How unfortunate it is to live lives that routinely overlook such wonders. I often feel tiny and insignificant in my workplace. She's a teacher. The past 15 years have been painful for a variety of reasons. I've sought transfers and other positions over the years, but God continues to send me here. The days unfold at a breakneck pace, and one's best never is sufficient by bureaucratic standards. The inchworm reminded me, however, that I am created, seen, and cared for by a loving God who sees me among the vast and varied tangles of flawed humanity. As I, as I, God willing, transition into the next phase of life between now and September 2020, I pray for increased acceptance of and confidence in God's workmanship as it manifests through me, a tiny inchworm for his glory in my workplace and in all other human encounters. It's beautiful. There's so In that 24-hour span, all the ways that God was speaking to her. And here's the reality of Christian spirituality. We believe as Christians that because God sent the Holy Spirit, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, that God is always active and moving among us. There's never a time, never a day, never an hour, never a minute, never a second when God is not coming to us. The problem is we are not present to this God who is present to us. And so this monastic value, this M, is to slow down our lives so that we can get this kind of revelation, that God would speak to us through scripture, that God would speak to us in silence, that God would speak to us in creation. In that uh, 24-hour period, she also saw a spiritual director, someone to help her discern God's presence and movement in her life as well. Jesus invites us to a life of rhythm, one that is not just all... Activity and one that is not all silence and solitude, but a rhythm, an interplay, a a dance between the two. And we are invited to this kind of deep spirituality with God. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is how fast am I going? And where do I need to slow down? This is a question we need to be coming back to over and over again. Where do I need to slow down? But Jesus teaches us one more thing here that I want to see. Another observation that Jesus is not just, uh, lives a life that of of rhythm over rushing, but that Jesus' rhythm was sustained by his limits. Jesus' rhythm was sustained by his limits. And so to live a monastic life means that we take inventory on how fast we live and how full our lives are. How fast we live and how full our lives are. And we do this inventory, why? To create space so that God can transform us through his grace. It's not just so that we can play more video games. It's not so that we can just catch up on our shows, although all that is wonderful, but it is a creation of space to get to God. Jesus creates space to get to the Father, and his rhythm was sustained by embracing his limits. Now, if there's anyone who should not have limits, it's Jesus. If there's anyone, this is the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity. If there's anyone who could work nonstop, you would think it would be Jesus, but because Jesus is fully human... Jesus recognizes that he has to embrace his limits. And we are, and to embrace our limits is something that's going to take a lot of courage. Because it means saying no to certain things so that you can say yes to what God has for you. Saying no in order to, this takes a lot of courage to embrace our limits. And so Jesus is so present to God. Jesus is so present to himself that he unapologetically embraces his limits. He, he has to step away. There were still people who needed to be healed. There were still people who needed to see. There were still people who needed to be healed of their diseases. And Jesus says, "I, I this is as far as I can go. And he recognizes his limits. And every time we go beyond our limits, we're entering into bad territory. Look at, the, look at the, the, the beginning of the book of Genesis. You could say that the original sin in the garden is the refusal to embrace limits. God said you can have, to Adam and Eve, you can have any tree of the garden. Enjoy whatever, just don't touch that one. Every tree in the garden, just don't touch that one. And they go, oh, what's that one? And they, they, God put a limit And they went beyond the limit, and and they entered into Satan's territory. And every time we go beyond our physical limits, our emotional limits, our financial limits, we enter into a kind of dark territory that overtakes our lives. And so what begins to happen as well is we try to squeeze God in into an already full Life. But inevitably, because our lives are so full, God gets squeezed out. God becomes the person that we can do without. Now, I was thinking about this idea of God being squeezed out, and it reminded me of my times of of travel. And I was traveling this past week, so uh, this was a fresh image that came to mind. I've seen many people having to unload their luggage because it was over 50 pounds. You get to the spot, you're about to check your bag, and they go, ah, 53 pounds. Ah, ah, ah. And, and now, what do you have to do? You have to if you, you, start unloading some stuff because you don't want to pay the fee, the $375 fee, whatever they're charging nowadays here. <laughs> And so as I was traveling this week, I saw a few people having to take out their luggage and open up the luggage and begin to do away with stuff that they didn't think was necessary. And I thought, well, what if our lives were luggage? What would our lives look like here? And, and I think to some degree, our lives would look something like, like, like this here. This is what our, our lives would look very full. <laughs> our, our, our lives are often very... I have a three-year-old in the house. And so our lives are often very full. And what begins to happen is you can't get on a plane like this. They will not let you get on a plane like this here. And to experience life and joy in the kingdom of God, God says you can't get into the kingdom of God with a life like this here. You can't enjoy the fruit of the kingdom of God, the joy of the kingdom of God, the peace of the kingdom of God with your life like this. And so what begins to happen is we we have to go into the luggage of our lives. And today's sermon is an opportunity for us to look into the luggage of our lives to see what is important and what can I do without? what, What is connecting me to God and what is disconnecting me from God. And so there's certain things that you just got to do without. All right, I'll keep him. Uh, there's certain things you got to do without. The Thomas the Train, got to get rid of Thomas the Train here. You know, got to keep the Met hat in there. See, so I got to keep the Met hat here. And so there, there, there's certain things, brothers, and you better keep the Met hat, brothers and sisters. God, God is a Met fan. God is a met. How do I know this? He is near and dear to the brokenhearted. And so... Um, <laughs> God is close to the broken heart. We serve a crucified Savior. I know what it's like to be a crucified fan. God is close to me. We keep the Met hat here. So here's the image without, without going too far into that there. Here's the image. All of us have a kind of spiritual luggage. And the question is, what are the things that are connecting us to God and just what are the things that is we're going beyond our limits now. It doesn't fit any longer. And it varies from person to person. Whether it's activities, whether it's things that we're doing, whether it's over, there's certain things that we just must begin to say no to. And this is what Jesus does. This is remarkable. Jesus, there are times when Jesus had to disappoint people for the sake of his own life with God. Now, again, this doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't committed to mission because right after Jesus does this, he says, all right, let's go preach some more. We, we, we often live with this sense that it's either or. It's either all mission or all monastery. And what we have to, we have to re, re, reject that kind of dualistic thinking that we have to hold these two together. It's a rhythm. It's a dance. And we are invited to hold this rhythm of work and rest together. And so what does it look like for us? What does Henry Nowen gives a wonderful image of a kind of spirituality that we need, a kind of ministry that we need. And he uses language of presence and absence. He says, we need two kinds of ministries. We need two kinds of spiritualities. We need a ministry and a spirituality of presence, and we need a ministry and spirituality of absence. We need both of them. We need, as Christians, we need to be present. And the way that God is present to us, we are to be present to others in love and compassion and care. We are to be present. And then there are moments where we are to be absent for the sake of our souls, for the sake of our rhythm, for the sake of our life with God. And so when we serve one another, when, when you see people serving children downstairs in our lower level, when you see people leading small groups, when you see people working with our community development corporation, when you see people leading us in worship, they're offering a kind of presence. And then when we are alone in solitude, when we're alone in scripture, when we're creating rhythms, we're creating, as it were, a ministry and a spirituality of absence. For our time today, I want to focus on the kind of absence. What does it look like for us to cultivate a spirituality of absence, a rhythm, a monastic kind of rhythm? And and let me just boil it down to about three things here. Number one, it's us cultivating a life with God through rhythms of Sabbath, rhythms of Sabbath. That for 24-hour period, this is not a metaphorical or spiritual 24 hours. This is a literal 24-hour period. A literal 24-hour period, we stop our paid work and our unpaid work. It's to stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. That, that once a week, we say to the Pharaoh that lives inside of us, the slave driver that lives inside of us, the one who says, if you stop working, you're going to die. And we all have a Pharaoh inside of us that says, if you stop working, you're going to die. We say no to that Pharaoh and say, my life is more than what I produce. My life is more than what I accomplish. That for a 24-hour period, I'm going to stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. That like in the Food Network, when they finish the meal and the time is up and their hands have to go up, that we step away from our keyboard, that we step away from that which constitutes work. And we begin to embrace that kind of rhythm. To, to have a ministry of absence, a spirituality of absence, a monastic kind of rhythm means that the way we read scripture is different. That we live in a scrolling culture. And that's how we read. But reading scripture that way is not going to get in us. We live in a scrolling, superficial culture. And we need to slow down our lives to allow God's word to penetrate our lives, that every day there should be some time spent where we're slowly chewing on, this is what it means to be a monastic community, that we allow God's word to slowly penetrate our lives, that we live a life of prayer, that there are times throughout the day where we might take one minute of silence, midday, after lunch or whatever, before the day, after work, where we just pause to breathe for a moment, to recalibrate our souls, To reconnect with God. That throughout the course of the day, we have a rhythm of stopping and in the same way that we stop for breakfast and lunch and dinner, that we would create a rhythm where we pause to be with God at some point in breakfast and at some point during lunch and then at some point in dinner. I'm not talking about long extended times, whether it's two minutes or 20 minutes, but we have a rhythm to our lives. To be monastic means not just that we have Sabbath rhythms and prayer rhythms, and scripture rhythms, but we also have community rhythms as well. This past week, I was in Colorado with some friends, and after speaking at this conference, I went to one of my friend's homes, and and we sat around the table. There were about six or seven of us, and for about two hours, we just talked. There was no phones on the table. There was no, it it was just, it it was like a four, it was like I was in another world, that we just looked at each other, and for two hours, talked and spoke and listened and prayed. And I, just, I, I walked out of that place saying, oh, this was different than what we're typically accustomed to, that we don't offer our presence to each other. And so to be a monastic community means we slow down our lives to be with God, to be with ourselves, and to be with others, and to be with creation for the sake of mission. It was after this that Jesus says, I'm going to preach elsewhere, and this is the invitation that God has for us. God is a three-mile-an-hour God, and if we're going to catch up to God, we have to slow down our lives. Let's pray together. Let's have the worship team come forward, and those who are going to be offering communion to come forward as well. Jesus was able to slow down because his identity was rooted in God's love, not in what he accomplished, not in the opinions of others. His identity was rooted in the love of God. So I imagine Jesus, as he was tempted to live a fast-paced life, would remember the words of the Father saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. In other words, your identity is not based on what you do or what you accomplish. Your identity is based on the love of the Father for you. before we take communion today, I I wonder, what's God's invitation to you today? You heard me talk about meals with friends and Sabbath and a day alone with God and scripture and what do you sense God calling you to focus on this week to make space for? God, God is always coming to you in love and simply asks us to open our hands to receive it. Lord Jesus, we confess this day that we are very easily consumed by the pace of our culture, so much so that you get drowned out. But Lord, by your grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you begin to help us say yes to your invitations and reorder our lives so that our lives would be built and established out of our love for you and receiving your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's all stand together. We're going to take communion. When we take communion, we are reminded that God offers His presence to us, His very physical presence in His body and blood. And so take the bread, dip it in the cup, go back to your seat, and I'll lead us to take it together. You can come forward. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, in the night He was betrayed, took bread. Amen. The the beauty of the Christian message is not about our faithfulness to be with God. It's about God's ongoing faithfulness to be with us. And God wants to be with us. So much so that God says, I'm sending my spirit to dwell in you and among you. That's how close God wants to be to you. And what God asks us in return is that we would offer God ourselves. We just took bread and we dipped in the cup. This is the body and blood of Jesus. He says, I give you my very life, my very life. And in turn, I ask for yours. And some of you today, you came in, you've never given your life to Jesus, but he's given his life for you and he's poured out his love for you. To release you from your shame, to release you from your sin, to forgive you, and to say yes to a new life in the kingdom of God. And so I want to have our our prayer team come to my right. If you've never said yes to Jesus, today is your day to be set free from the shackles of your own doing, from the sin that you cannot overcome, from the shame that keeps you up at night. Jesus Christ wants to offer forgiveness and freedom to you. And for those of you who have experienced the freedom of Christ and you find yourself tangled up in something again, God's grace is for you as well, over and over and over and over again. And so you can come forward to receive, to receive prayer. And my hope this week is as we look at our monastic value today, that our lives would have a new kind of rhythm, that we would... By the Holy Spirit's power, begin to reshape and reorder our lives, to create room, to slow down our pace, to create space so that God can transform us by His grace. It might look different from person to person, but at the end of the day, what we want is a kind of slow down spirituality that makes room for the life of God in our very lives so that we would offer it to the world as a blessing. And so, as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. May you take this week to discern and to pray and to to offer to God what might be a new kind of rhythm to live. Whether that's waking up earlier in the morning, whether that's pausing midday for two minutes, whether that's reading through a book in the Bible, whether that's sharing a meal with a friend, whether it's practicing Sabbath keeping, what's, what's the Holy Spirit's invitation to you? And so with your hands... In your hearts, in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, saying yes to a new kind of rhythm. And may your life be deepened in the love of Jesus. And may you offer that love and grace to all those you encounter as we are on mission for Jesus in the power of the Spirit. May God grant you great discernment. May God grant you great clarity. May God grant you great courage to say no to what you need to say no to and yes to what you need to say yes to. And so I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the present name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.